This podcast is presented to you by Passion Church and their campus in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit www.mypassion.church. the opportunity to speak to you today. Pastor Norris and Cindy had, are uh, out of town at a wedding, family wedding, and uh, so he asked me would I be willing to teach the, at, in the service, and I said, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> my favorite place in the world. Uh, but I love you people, and uh, thank you for being here today on Memorial Day, or Memorial Weekend. How many of you have plans for tomorrow? Get with friends or family? Anybody have that? Well, we are. Uh, how many of you are going to just chill tomorrow? Boy, I'm with you on that one. Hey, Keith and I were talking in, uh, in Pastor Norris's office while he's, we were trying to get this microphone up. And uh, I asked him, I said, what you going to do tomorrow? He said, man, I'm going to just, you know, I've already cooked the food. and We're just going to relax tomorrow. I said, you know, that's so good because a lot of people, they make memorial, so many plans for Memorial Day because they got the day off and they do this and do that and have all this stuff going. They get to bed about midnight and they think, oh dear God, I need a day off tomorrow. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, well, have a blessed Memorial Day. And like the video said, take just a moment, some, you know, like when you pray over the food or at some moment, and just thank God for those that are serving and pray for their safe return and thank God for all of those that have laid their lives down. Why do we do that? Well, you know what? Uh, it's good for us to remember the price of freedom. Hey, listen, is, is America, do we have problems? Absolutely, just like you do. And like your marriage does. And like your job does. And like everything in life does. Uh, there's only one perfect. Now, if you want something perfect, uh, we have to do a funeral for you first. <laughs> but we hope that you are ready for that funeral because it won't be perfect otherwise. <laughs> you catch my drift. Uh, but uh, as you're, uh, you know, America's not perfect, but hey, listen, I've been in a lot of countries and not for a day or two. I've spent, you know, months sometimes uh, in different countries. But I'm telling you, and there's a lot of wonderful things about other nations. And the set, you know, I, I don't like it, like it when America looks at another country and wants to be like that. Because trust me, no other nation, every other nation, if you talk to the people in France, who America, so many Americans want to be like France. Let's be like the French people. Listen, if they could live where they, anywhere, they would, actually they'd like France to be like America. Everywhere I've been, people, you know, they think, oh, it must be wonderful to live there, you know. So we get a lot to be grateful for, and we want, and we want to pray also that America will turn back to God, amen. And you know, who else is going to do it if we don't? Isn't that right? You know, one day Jesus was, <clears throat> of course, he was out, you know, he went around from place to place. The Bible says, doing good and healing all that were sick or oppressed by the devil. And he was out uh, ministering one day and he was, had been teaching. And a 
man walks up to him, which I love the fact that here's Jesus, the Son of God, and he's so accessible. Uh, you know, I hope that we, as Christians that are believers, are willing to make ourselves accessible to those around us. You know, don't keep yourself in a cocoon. Listen, sin's not contagious. You don't have to worry if you talk to a sinner, you're going to suddenly backslide and fall away from God. Or if a sinner touches you, that you suddenly have caught the disease of sin. Uh, no. You still got some lurking around there in you anyway. It can be in an attitude or something. So, so don't worry, you know. It's not contagious. Uh, and I know the cure. I said, I know the cure anyway. Don't you? His name is Jesus. And what he did at the cross. Amen? Amen. Somebody say, thank God for Jesus. So Jesus was accessible and this guy walks up to him. You know, in this crowd, usually there would be, you know, hundreds and sometimes 10, 20, 30,000 people literally in the crowd that he was teaching. And uh, <clears throat> so he would, he's there uh, teaching and this, after he got through teaching, people are talking to him. This one guy comes up and he says, he says, good teacher, what good things must I do to, be, to make it to heaven, to be saved, to have eternal life? Jesus, I love his answer. He looked at him and he said, and sometimes we kind of can read it like a rebuke, but I see it like a promise. He said, there's only one good, and he is God. Say that with me. There's only one good. Say that again. And he is God. And I'm going to add something, and that means it's not me. Come on, say it. That means it's not me. Okay, you're not good. I want to relieve you of that responsibility of trying to be really good, of trying to be really right, of making sure you get it right. Quit trying to do that because you're not good. I love telling God in prayer, I, tell, I don't tell him all the time, but lots of times I'll say, God, you're the only good there is in my life. There is nothing absolutely whatsoever. There is not one thing that is good about Steve Vickers. Not one thing. I love that. You know why? Because it relieves me of trying to be that. And I think a lot of Christians go around trying to make sure that they don't fail. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do it right. I'm gonna, I gotta get it right. And if I get it wrong, then we go in, you know, we go into depression. We feel like, well, I'm, I'm not God. I can't pray because I'm not good now. I can't, you know, I shouldn't go to church. Or we get into this pit because of being human, and because we're not God. God is the only good. We, listen, nobody wants to fail. How many of you would love to fail? How many of you just love to fail? Now, I was, that, I was, I'm very good at failing. 
If I have a gift, it may be unfailing. You know, it would be, you know, I, I wish you could get a job. They say, we have an opening for a failure, for someone to fail. I said, I have a PhD in that. I have failed more than I've succeeded. I've done more, more things wrong than I've done right. You know, I've failed it more than I've succeeded at. You know, uh, nobody wants to fail. You remember school? Some of you are still in it. How many of you older ones remember school? Some of you don't want to. You know what? I remember going into class, you know, after the weekend. I come in on Monday and, and of course, I hadn't cracked a book. I've been having fun, you know, and I don't remember what homework was or anything. I walk into the homeroom class and they say, I don't say, hey, man, how'd you, how was the weekend? Everything. Said, cool, cool. You ready for it? And I said, for what? And they say, you know. And I said, what? And they say, the test. And I'd say, what test? And you have, you, how many of you know what happened then? You get this sinking feeling. Oh no. All the fun and the bounce and the step just like, oh dear God. <coughs> I think I'm feeling sick. Can I go to the office? Call my mama. <laughs> well, you know what? Honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't that I knew I was going to fail the test. That wasn't the thing. It was who I had, to, who found out about it. My daddy. If there had been no accountability, I didn't care. <laughs> fail the test, pass the test, I don't care. You know, it means nothing to me. But going home with an F. Do you ever change that? I did. I got very good at it. Matter of fact, Bob, I probably could have been a good forger. I'm serious. I got very, and, but the bad thing was, you know what? I put it, I'd make it a, the F into a B. Sometimes I just say, I'm going all the way. I'd make it into an A, then put a little plus beside it. Well, guess what? My dad wasn't, he was born in the day, but it wasn't yesterday. And uh, he'd say, he'd look at it, and he said, hey, no way you made an A. Or he didn't say, he says, there's no way you made an A on plus on that test. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, no. He said, let me look at that a little closer. And then he could see where I'd changed it from an F to an A. Oh, that really went over well. You know, we, we hate failure. And it's because of what we feel like it's going to cost us. Uh, we don't want to fail at business because we'll lose money and because we'll look like a failure. We don't want to fail in our marriage. We don't want to fail as, you know, in anything we do. But here's what I've learned. Failure is a very natural, normal part of life. Anybody that's never failed, stand up. We will worship you. Because <laughs> you're Jesus. No, we've all failed, haven't we? 
Everybody say, I failed. Say it again. And did it destroy you? It cost you maybe. But let's look at something. Now hear me. Failure is not just a part of life. It's a necessary part of life. A necessary part of life. Somebody say with me, I need to fail. Say it out loud. You ever heard the, the saying, failure is not an option? You ever heard that? Okay. Guess who coined that phrase? Do you know where that phrase came from? Well, it came from a movie, Apollo 13. And the Ed Harris, who is command, the guy over the command thing, he's, uh, in, he was playing Bob Kranz, I believe his name, K-R-A-N-Z. He was playing him. And in the movie, they're talking about after Apollo 13 hit the explosion and they're trying to find a way to get the guys back and survive. He looks at the, the scientists and all the, the brains that are gathered there and he says, all right, we're going to do this. And he said, failure is not an option. Well, he never said that. It was made up by a movie. All right. Uh, and we tend to take on that movie mentality that failure is not an option. I want to present, present to you a different quote. I want to turn that on, the head, on its head and say failure is the only option. Because if you don't fail, if you don't learn to fail, if you're not willing to fail, you will never grow in God. You'll never grow in this world in knowledge and understanding. And you will never succeed in life. If you're not willing to fail in parts of your marriage, your marriage will never succeed. If you're not willing to fail in business or in your career, you'll never grow and develop and rise up in the, in the business that you're in. If you're not willing to fail in your walk with God, you'll never go anywhere in God. Now, we don't like to hear that because we have religious concepts that, and they're sacred cows that we need to kick over, get out of the way. We need to slaughter them, sell them for hamburger to somebody else and move on and really live a Christian life that is free. The Bible says that He, God, Jesus recreated us, recreated us through His death, burial, and resurrection to live in liberty, freedom from worrying about failure. Failure is a part of the process. It's a part of it. Years ago as a young man just starting out in ministry, I didn't know these things and so I was very intentional and determined to not fail. Because see, I'd failed a lot in everything else. Uh, I'd failed in everything. But I was determined now as a minister, as a believer, I would not fail. I was going to do everything perfect. Everything right. Now, hear me. That sounds good. It sounds biblical. Just like spare the rod, spoil the child sounds biblical. But it's nowhere in the Bible. Not failing. Living a life without failure. That sounds, boy, that's the goal we ought to all attain to. The problem with it is this. There is a way there is a way that you can live without failing. 
You know what it is, Robert? You know what that way is? What is it, Robert? That's it exactly. Do you hear what he said? You do nothing. You do nothing. You never take a risk. You never step out in faith. You always stay with what is safe, secure, and known. We know this works. We know I can I know I can do this. I know how to everything's secure. And so we when you live a life that you're afraid to fail or you're not willing to fail, you don't want to fail, or you think that it's wrong in God's eyes for you to fail and that your Father God is looking down to make sure and counting your failures. You will never do anything. You will build a little nest, a little box, and you'll stay there. You'll build a fortress of safety and security and non-productivity. So you'll never fail. The problem with that is John 15 where Jesus said uh, that the shepherd or the uh, master gardener, the owner of the vineyard, comes and he looks at the branches. And any branch that is, what Bob? Doing what? Nothing. Say it out loud, Bob. That's right. Any branch that is doing nothing, that is living safe, Secure, without risk, without taking a step, without chanting failure, without risking it all, Jesus is going to reward them. No. Your Bible is very clear. It says that he will reach down and cut that branch off and throw it over there. And where does that branch land? I've had people say, do they go to, does that mean they go to heaven or hell? And I said, I don't want to find out. Why would you? Because I do know, he says, to be burned. I don't think there's burning in heaven. We've got to pull the teeth, the fear. That dark phantom that haunts us of failure. We gotta pull the teeth out of it. We gotta strip it of its power. We gotta drive it away and set ourselves free from it. So here I am, a young minister just starting out and I've been in ministry probably a few years and, and um, I was so determined not to fail it, but fail I did. And the problem was I would get depressed about it. I'd get so bothered I'd really go into a pit. And, and uh, I mean, Denise would literally just get fed up with it. She'd say, what's wrong? And I'd say, I just need to quit. I'm no good. I can't do it. I can't do this. And she'd say, Steve Vickers, quit it. I'm ashamed of the way you're acting. And I said, that's easy for you to say. You're not the one that failed. And then God... Thank God for the Holy Spirit. God spoke to me. And God told me, he said, son, now listen to me. If you are unwilling 
to fail in following me, I can never use you. And then he showed me, he said, every person I've ever used, everyone in the Bible, they failed. And he said, and that's why I showed, showed their failures in the Bible. Because I wanted you and everyone else, of my, all of my children, to understand failure is not going to hurt you. It's really there to help you. Boy, that helped me, Chris. It set me free, Connie. Because I'd been living under this weight of never failing. Being perfect and doing right and always striving for that. It's interesting, the Bible doesn't call, tell us to strive for perfection. It tells us to strive for peace and for a prize. In business, I learned this. The principle is fail fast and fail often. Fail fast and fail often. If you're going to succeed in business, you're going to have to fail and fail often and fail again and fail again. But here's what you do. When you defeat failure's power in your life, here's what you do. You always fail forward. You like that? You know, and that's what you've done. That's why your marriage is still together. That's why you still have it together in your own life. That's why you're still walking with God. Because you've failed. And some of us have failed horribly. Some of you really, you know, you just almost colored outside the lines. I was coloring on the desk, not even on the paper. See, I fail. I mean, when I fail, I fail, right? But, you know, we learn to fail forward. Fail forward. So everybody say, I fail forward. Come on, say it again. I fail forward. You know why failure is so important? Because it's only in our failures that we grow and learn. It's not in a classroom where you sit and learn how to be a great Christian that you're going to be a great Christian. It's when you take the truths you've learned or heard and you go out and you start applying them and you fail and you learn. You know, learning how... I refer to this a lot about learning to fly an airplane because it applies to so many principles in life and you know they, I go through ground school you went through that and I you know did all that and then I had the initial flying instructions and learning how to fly control an airplane and all the dynamics of it you know and the different laws you're working with and everything and then you know from then on what training was all about failure putting you in failing situations they turn the plane in a you know in a unusual uh, position, you know, uh, attitude where all, with a blindfold on you know, and, and then all of a sudden they'd say you have the airplane mm -hmm. and you, you don't even know where the ground is but they put you in failing they continually over and over and over and over again 
put you in failing times, in a failing situation. Because that's where you really learn. As a matter of fact, they're saying that's one of the problems with the general aviation training now is they're trying to make it easier so that they'll get more pilots in and they're not having to go through a lot of the unusual attitude and difficult situation training. Man, I'll tell you what, you talk about uh, white knuckles, you talk about, uh, you know, scared out of your wits. Man, I was put in situations where your heart stops. But it causes you to grow and learn. And guess what? There was an instructor sitting by me. I will give you a comforter who will be with you, a paraclete, who will stand with you and never ever leave you. And he will be there with you continually saying, no, this is the way walking in. But he usually doesn't say that till you've done it the wrong way. Now, Stephen and Hillary, my son and daughter-in-law, I'm so happy and excited about them. They're moving to Nashville in a few months to start a church up there, doing a church plant. And they've done it a thousand times, so they know how to do it. It's a piece of cake that do it in their sleep. They're scared to death. They're scared to death. Look at them. They look so sweet because, you know. They want to make sure that you, everything, you think they're fine. But inside they're like, oh my God, what in the world have we committed to? They're scared because there's so many things that can go wrong. There's so many things that can go wrong. And many things will. And they'll want to quit. And they'll know they should quit. And the people that they've drawn together will say, you should quit. And Hillary will tell Stephen, you should quit. That's the way it is. And Stephen will tell Hillary, we got to quit. But you know what? There's an instructor sitting right beside you. And as soon as you fail, guys, he's going to say, now let's learn from this. If failure, the fear of it, does not control your life. When the fear of failure controls your life, you can't hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. You can only hear what your master, the spirit of fear, of failure, is saying. You know, they... Psychologists and psychiatrists tell us this is the greatest fear that the male uh, deals with, that a man deals with. The biggest fear women, a woman deals with is the fear of loss, the fear of abandonment, the fear of insecurity. Her home, her family. All of that. But a man's greatest fear is the fear of failure. That's why 95 or 7 percent, I forget what the number is, of men never do what they want to in life. Never do what they really would like to do in life. They do what they feel safe in life doing. 
because of the fear of failing if they step out. Stephen, you're doing something rare. You're doing something unusual and you're going to fail. And it's all right. You'll just fail forward, guys. There's a scripture. Oh, let me say this before. Go ahead and throw that scripture up, guys. Romans 8, 28, please. Now listen to me. In life, hear me, hear me, hear me. I've done enough interaction, counseling, communication, connecting with people throughout 40, almost, let's see, 45 years of ministry. 45 years, dear God. 45 years of ministry. Okay, I've interacted with people enough to find this out. Failure either defines us or it refines us. One of the two. I've met people that are defined by past failures. The loss of a loved one, a failure that they had, or a business failure, or how they were done wrong, or whatever it may be. Some failure. There's always failures, but I've found people that a failure defines them. That's what their life is defined from, from then on. And you can't change it because, you know, you try to give them truth and you talk to them, and they can give the truth back to you. Some of them can counsel you better than you can counsel them. But the trouble is their definition, how they view. I'm looking at this picture. They have another, or another screen they're looking at. And so everything that we talk about and everything that they view, everything is on a different screen. It's on the screen of that failure that has now defined their life. Other people, they failed, they've had problems, they lost a loved one, or they, they lost in business, or they lost a marriage, or whatever it may be. And, and, you know, no one hates divorce as much as someone that's been divorced. No one hates the loss of a loved one as, some, as much as someone that's lost someone close to them. Let me tell you. Now, you know, Denise and I have lost, not lost each other, so I, you know, and thank God for that. But when Denise lost her sister, Pam, they were best friends. They talked several times every day that everything was, you know, from the time Denise and I dated to the time Pam died, she and Pam were connected at the hip. They were one soul. And, and even when we were living in different, very different parts of the country because of her husband and me, me also being in the military and then I'm going overseas and all that, they still, when both of us went overseas, uh, during the Vietnam War, Pam and Denise lived together. Pam was there when Denise had Stacy, our first child. I was overseas. And so there was a very strong connection. And when Pam died, at first it defined my wife's life. It wrote a new definition. My wife changed. Everything about her changed. How she reacted to everything, including me, was now defined by that loss. 
how she viewed life, how she viewed everything in life. Suddenly, all security was gone. She was now living under the fear of losing me, losing her children, losing this, losing everything because suddenly that failure. And see, sometimes it can be, it seems like maybe God's failed and not you and not other people. Why didn't God heal Pam? There's a, he failed. So can I even trust God? The thing she once believed with all of her heart, suddenly she questioned. And I would talk to her. I'd say something. She'd be talking to me. And the way she talked was not the woman of faith that I had married and knew and spent my life with. Suddenly she was a woman speaking out of insecurity and doubt. And every good thing I said was countered by her but but how do I know we can trust God he's going to provide how do I know that Pam's dead if God can't take care of that how's he going to take care now listen don't get upset with Denise because if you've never been there you've just lived in the box That's why we left and moved to California. Because before I had this church, I had her. She was a responsibility I had before I had a responsibility to this. And so I told God, I told God and I told her, I'll lose everything to keep you. And so we moved to California. And I got her totally in a different environment where suddenly... She wasn't everything she didn't see. Everywhere she went, every restaurant, every street sign, everything didn't remind her of how God failed. Because I saw failure defining my life. Her life was being defined by it. And all I could do was pray and love her and, and unconditionally and let her vent and let her say and not try to rebuke her or straighten out. She didn't need me to get her straight spiritually. I'm not the Holy Ghost. And neither are you. Now listen, don't worry. I'm going to wrap this up real quick. But all of a sudden, just praying and in a different environment, I suddenly saw it was like this. Now, it wasn't a U-turn, but it was like this. And I saw a change. And I'm telling you, it was like we went to bed one night with failure defining her. We got up the next morning, and it was like somebody had let the shades up, and the light was coming in. I saw a different sparkle in her eye. And when we, we began to talk, Everything was not being filtered through the loss of Pam. That's right. Not See, every conversation we had was filtered through that. It came through that. I like to play jokes and be funny and make her laugh and all that. And before when, you know, after Pam, I, anything I'd do, she'd look at me. And there was no response. 
But suddenly I saw I'd say something funny or do something, and Denise like she laughs at me. Uh, you do too, probably laugh at me. Uh, not for the same reason, but anyway. I saw a change. And now I can tell you, she's going, she's back the old way. And hear me, is she almost where she was? She's far beyond where she was. Because failure is either going to define you or it's going to refine you. What doesn't kill you will make you stronger. And we know I don't know everything about God. I don't know everything the Bible says. I don't know how to live all the right ways. I don't know how to do everything right. I don't know how to pastor all the right ways. I don't know how to preach all the right ways. I don't know how to teach all the right ways. I don't know how to do anything. Or everything. But I do know how to do some things. There are some things... I know. I know. And we know that God, why don't we read this together? It's on your screen. Read it out loud so I can hear you. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Now that called according to His purpose has nothing to do with the call to the ministry. It has to do with the call to follow Him and to let His will be done in your life, not your will. People ask me a lot, I'll take a little side road here. People say, well, how do I know I'm in the will of God? I say, very easy. I said, has God said something to you at some point that you said, absolutely not? I'm not doing it. Ain't doing it. I said, have you ever done that? They said, no. And I said, then you're in the will of God. They said, well, what if I don't know what His will is? I said, then that's God's problem, not yours. Because the Bible says He's going to... He's going to reveal His will. He will unveil His will to you. He will make it known to you. The Bible says we walk in the light we have. Walk in the light you have. The light of what, the light of what you know about God. Alright? And we know. And we know. Everybody say, I know. I say, I know. Listen, I'm going to tell you what. That is a... Man, you talk about driving a stake in the ground and producing a security. I mean, you can have a billion dollars in the bank and all that, but there's no greater security than being able to say, I know God. And I know this about Him. No matter how it goes, no matter what it looks like, 
whether I get it all right or all wrong, whether everything works for me or works against me. I know God, and I know this. He is good. He is good all the time. Not sometime, not one time. God is good all the time. There is no bad in Him. There is no evil in Him. There's no failure in Him. There's no weakness in Him. He is good. There is no darkness. He is light. I'm a failure. He's a success. He and I together. His success, His rightness, His goodness, His righteousness, His faith, His strength overcomes all of me that is wrong that is full of weakness and failures and fears and insecurities and all of that and I turn with all of that to the God I know and I say I know this you will work it for my good Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and pray that you are blessed by God's word. For more information about Passion Church, visit www.mypassion.church.